As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast. Matt Messiano and Jordan Weimer here today to... uh, Try and ease your suffering. Um, you've had a couple of days to get over it. And I think most people were already kind of resigned for the fact that we were going down anyway. But this result, uh, most recent result against Burnley has kind of cemented that. We, we we probably knew that it was it was coming, Jordan. But the way that Watford do it sometimes, they just really, they really yeah. hurt you, don't they? <laughs> I mean, they find a way to get you invested again, then snatch, you know, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory right at the last second to, to really... Rubbing the pain. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's frustrating, isn't it? I think we all kind of felt resigned to to relegation uh, just before the game. And then, you know, you start the game with a little bit of energy and, and suddenly things look a bit better and you start to think, oh, you know, maybe we get something from this game. It's hard not to fall into that mindset, isn't it? And mm. I think that, that game, it, it really did that. It got you. It got you there. And yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, an inventive way to hurt an already hurting fan base. I know it was. It was a good first half. It was an enjoyable first half to watch. It was an enjoyable first half, and you know you could see the effort was there from the players. They really were um, applying themselves, and it, it it burnt them out a bit, obviously. But we'll get into that, I'm sure. But um, it was a good a good approach from, from the team, and I think it helped it helped a lot. You know, the crowd there. I'm sure it kind of helps the atmosphere when you have that intensity from the from the players. Previously, in, in the last few weeks in these big relegation games, it often felt like Yuri Kuchka was the only player that was actually kind of leading with that that sort of mentality. But I'd say from the off in that one, everyone on the pitch really was was kind of applying themselves in, in that fashion. And it, it did help a lot. Um, I think just as kind of a quick side note, I, I'm not sure the difference in instruction, obviously, in regards to what they were told before the game. But when it comes to criticism of Roy, I'm I'm not a Roy Hodgson fan, but I do think that you could at least look at that first half and say, or ask the question where that application was in some of the other games that we've had that have been much more important than that one. And I think that's perhaps a talking point for for those that have been discussing Hodgson and those that are for Hodgson. I, I think that, that kind of first half uh, display from, from that team does kind of ask that question as to why we haven't seen more of that. Mm. I wonder if pressure has anything to do with it. I mean, maybe maybe the, maybe the lads felt as though there wasn't the pressure there, at least in the first half, because, yeah. you know, it was, it's virtually done already. But then mm. maybe once they took assessment of it at halftime, they're like, oh, oh, we actually could maybe get something out of this game and then it could be back on again. <laughs> and then the yeah. pressure no, was it's... reapplied. 
that's true, and I, but I, but I think I think you just see the positive energy. I mean, this is one thing I say about Ranieri is his time here. We we can see a lot of goals, but um, the early stage of his of his arrival and it, it, it faded as time went on, which is always disappointing. But you think about those games against Chelsea, against Man City, the, the pressure and the way that we played. We are a good team of athletes, and that sort of pressure can be contagious and it can be effective too. It can cause mistakes to the opposition and it creates momentum. It creates momentum in the fan base and the crowd uh, and in the players. It, it affects things and that we can actually be positive. That was the first Hodgson game. I felt like we were proactive in, in how we approached it in that first half. We were the dominant team in the sense that we were looking to change the the outcome of the game in the manner that we approached the game. Uh, and that was something that we really, we really struggled and, and not seen enough of. So it's good to see that. And it did set, uh, it did set the tempo. And I think, that first half, I think people felt quite, or fans were feeling quite positive about the the outcome of the game. Other than the sort of raw determination, was there anything tactically that was different, or I don't know? I mean, technically, the the differences were the the, the first half on a on quite a few occasions. What we saw was uh, Ismail Assar was coming quite narrow, almost central. Uh, Uri Kuchko was kind of drifting out to that right hand side and and creating some space. Uh, and some some width. Also, Kiko Femenio was playing very very high up. Uh, at times, it almost looked like a front, uh, a flat front four uh, with with Kiko Femenio on the right hand side and Saar pushing in. So we did look to do things a little bit differently. Uh, I think the way that Burnley played perhaps gave you a little bit of freedom to throw some numbers forward at times. Uh, and I think that we we did a decent job of that. Having Kiko there as that as that wide option allowed us a lot of a, a lot of uh, room and helped us get the ball in the box. We're still a little bit wasteful. You know, we didn't change a lot tactically. Those are some, those are two, uh, two areas we really did improve. And as you say, the application, the way that we were, we were pressing aggressively. It was a little bit reckless at times. There wasn't a lot of, um, they weren't particularly traps that we were setting or kind of, you know, scripted plays. It was more of a just intense, high pressure, high intensity, you know, for lack of a better term, rattle Burnley and try and force them to play a little bit faster out of the back and it was working for us but it's a it's a very hard when it's not a, a kind of more structured pressing plan it's very hard to maintain that for for 90 minutes i'd say Watford, as we know went ahead uh scoring the first goal um I, I suppose it's um just the way that it's been going this season that we can't even actually score our own goals at the minute we had to rely on uh <laughs> you know, an own goal. But um, it was great work from Uri Kuchka to actually get the, the effort on target. Do we count it on target if it hits the bar? I'm not sure if we do. Not, it doesn't technically count as on target, does it? No. It I mean, it was a, good, it was a good, good piece of work from him and he was very unfortunate. But he, uh, yeah, I mean, look, we, we needed that bit of luck and obviously Nick almost had a good save, but it, it, was, it, was, it was a good shot and it, it led to a goal. So we'll, we'll give it to Uri. And we followed that up with a with a few good moments as well. We you know we we did uh, test Pope on a couple of occasions. Yeah, we did, and it was it, he he made some good saves. And I think the, the Burnley backline was was exposable. Obviously, Tarkovsky's a, a really good defender in there, and he was able to um, he was able to kind of cut out a lot of chances. But that we we were aggressive. We got bodies forward, and we created some opportunities. So there was some poor finishing from us, or, or kind of poor final decision making. But at least we got ourselves into into positions to to attack the uh, opposition box. In the second half, though, um, Burnley came out and they were almost lit by some kind of um, you know firework up, and they they were really really applying the pressure. And it was notable that Watford seemed to drop off. And, and I think it, even even uh, Ray Lewington said it in his in his post match comments that you know we told them not to do that, but it was just a natural thing. 
for them to do. Is that something that he can he can stand behind, Jordan? Or do, do yeah, you know what he's saying there? I do, but I think I think you have to be. I think you have to you, you have to be cognizant of the fact that if a team starts to get into the game and starts to have more control of possession, starts to have a little bit more impact on on the way that they're playing, then naturally it's going to affect how how we're playing. As I said, we're playing quite recklessly. We're throwing numbers forward at times, uh, and and Burnley in the first half struggled to to adapt to that, and they they were they were rocked by it. But once they regained their composure with at the interval, when they were able to come out there and start start manipulating things themselves then naturally yes we, we did sit back more but I, I think in my opinion there's there was a lack of uh, of foresight to control that um that that circumstance and also fatigue plays a part because they, you know they're playing at high intensity and there's not there's not a ton of respite for them so i think dropping back is definitely a byproduct of those factors rather than you know the players just going out there and not doing what they're they're told to do what what do you think that it was that Burnley did then that was that was different other than just having more emphasis? But did, did they change anything? I think they just expected. I think they just weren't expecting the the, the ferocity of the way that we approached that first half. And I think once they were able to gain control through finding a little bit more space in midfield, Jack Cork was dropping into some deeper positions to pick the ball up and, and able to kind of retain a little bit of possession and really just force us to press in some more dangerous areas. It's one thing if you're if you're kind of pressing in a kind of more rigid midfield, but if you start dropping deep with those midfielders from a Burnley perspective, then suddenly our midfielders have to be uh, have, have to be coming much further into the opponent's half. And if if you do break that press, then you're in much more advantageous position. I just don't really think that we had the the structure in place to to negate that. I don't think we could really take some of those risks because we didn't have that protection in behind um, if we were to to kind of miss. So I think that's I think that basically we got a little bit outcoached in that second half. Mm. The equaliser was definitely coming, wasn't it? And we had a couple of chances to to stop similar attacks. Foster was called into a great save after a particularly sloppy pass from Saar. Um, yeah. I mean, Foster had a reasonably good game despite conceding two. I think. Yeah, I thought for the most part he was he, he was fine. There wasn't a ton of, of issue with Foster and goal. It was. Yeah, it was, I mean the goal itself was was frustrating, but I, it wasn't necessarily down to Foster. It was it was a difficult performance. There wasn't a, there weren't a ton of opportunities on goal um, from Burnley, but he was he was pretty commanding in his box. I thought he he did well for the most part. But then the uh, the, the opening uh, equaliser came from them. Jack Cork, it was wasn't it? it was a I don't think he'd scored for a, was it a year or two years. I think. I think more than that. Yeah, eighteen <laughs> months or something. Yeah, we always we're always the team to end those ducks, aren't we? Yeah. And it was, of course, uh, you know, a former player, I suppose. Although he was, he was a lone player, wasn't he, at one at one point? But yeah, he just... was. A, yeah, he was a real bright point for a little while for us, wasn't he? Yeah, that was Brendan Rodgers' time. Yeah, so, yeah, he was a good player for us. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the, the equalizer just took the wind out of us, didn't it? It, it it's it, it's it's exactly the sort of goal you'd expect us to concede, and it was it was very frustrating. You could see the the, the change in the players' demeanour the second that ball hit the back of the net. And I felt as though everyone in that stadium knew the second one was coming as soon as that first one went in as well. Yeah, the players knew it. That's the thing. The players knew it. Um, the fans knew it. And you just you're just waiting. You're just waiting for that ball to come in the box again or whatever it is to happen. It, it seems it seemed inevitable, which I, I think is you know indicative of of how we felt over the course of the season. I think I, I think I saw we conceded 17 goals in the last 15 minutes of the season or something along those lines. Um, which is obviously quite a heavy tally. And uh, yeah, it, it just seemed like it was a matter of time. 
Yeah, so it was a disappointing one. But I suppose, you know, look at some positives. We might now be dragging Everton down with us. That's something. Yeah, that was the positive, wasn't it? That was the real thing you're looking at. But, uh, which, again, it just shows us how, how desperate our times are for clinging on to those yeah. sorts of things for a little bit of positivity. But, you know, it's it's at that point in the season, it's a, it's a really difficult part of the season. Um, you have to try and find ways to stay engaged. And Everton's relegation might be the... Uh, might be the the brightest light we have. Yeah, I, I can't see anything else that we're going to enjoy the rest of the season. Thankfully, it's nearly over. Well, I think the thing is, yeah. we can look. The thing we can look to is off the field stuff. That's where we're going to have the most interesting news, isn't it? So. It is. And shall we move into off the field stuff? Because I can't. I think we I can't well. possibly carry on talking about the uh, no. the doom and gloom. Um, obviously, we've all been excited to hear about different managers that are tipped to um, take over the Hornets. But I would probably say. For the first time in a while, it feels as though we might be closer to knowing who that person is than when we have done in previous positions when when we've been looking to bring somebody in. And the people that are being um, tipped by bookies might actually be the people that are in the frame for the job. What what, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think think this might be controversial, but I think it's a really interesting potentially exciting time to be a Watford fan. I, I think the, the way that we went back up, the way that we the way that we tried to establish ourselves in the league, I, I think a lot of fans felt trepidation about that approach. And I think a lot of there's a lot of concern. And whilst there was a lot of positivity about getting promoted, there was an undercurrent of of fear and, and you know uncertainty in regards to to moving forwards. I, I think this season hopefully hopefully is just a big big sign to the to the ownership to say look things have to change now there's been some communication we've had some you know brief levels of communication that or under or words of understanding that things have to change and we have to adapt so when you then throw in some of the names that are being mentioned in, in regards to the managerial position it, it does indicate uh, that that those those steps are looking are going to be followed hopefully now remains to be seen of course but there are some signs there to be positive about and I think it's a it's a it's definitely a turning point for the club they have to readjust they've been relegated they have to find a different way it's not the same situations when we got relegated the last time it's a slightly different environment um, and I think we're going to see a lot of change in the in the coming weeks at the club uh, from from higher up right down to the playing staff so it's an interesting time there's gonna be a lot to discuss there's gonna be a lot to kind of look into which is obviously positive for for people like ourselves that, that cover the team but uh, as a fan uh, I think you can you can have some optimism because there are some signs of, of life in the club I'd say. So shall we go through some of the people that have been tipped as, as potentially next Watford managers Jordan? Yeah get us get us some names. Well the, the odds on favourite at the minute and this is changing all the time is uh, one John Eustace who um, personally I didn't even see entering into the frame uh, you know about a week ago but suddenly he's he's jumped to the front of the queue yeah how do you how, what, what are your thoughts on on that one what what do you feel about John Eustace being the potential <sighs> I don't know I mean I feel as though he's not got the experience at, at head coach or manager role um, that would fill me with a lot of confidence I like yeah. the fact that he's a former Watford player and we've got that connection but that connection isn't to be an all and ender with me. I, mean, I just want a, a good, progressive, yeah. young coach that has a little but, bit of experience already, but, you know, 
maybe hasn't had Premier League experience yet, but has experience as a head coach at a decent level. And I think John Eustace has been a head coach, but he was a head coach of Kidderminster Harriers, wasn't he? And that's not a, mm. that's not a good level. I don't. I don't. Well, I mean, no. it's not a great. I mean, I think was it National League or was it National League South? No, no National League North. Even that he was. Uh, I, think, I know they're I National League North, North now. Was yeah. it was it National League at the time when he was? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, look, but, even that is like the the fifth and the sixth division of of, of English football. I mean, I, I think we could look higher personally, but uh, you know, look, you could be a talented manager working in in you know the the, the Evo Stick Unibond second. Reserve yeah. league. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't matter what league you're in, I suppose, or in one sense. But it it fills me with more confidence when I know that they've done something at a, you know a relatively mm. reasonable level. But what what do you think? Well, what I'll say just quickly in regards to experience, I think it really depends on the role. I think experience is maybe maybe a little bit held a little bit more value when you're asking for a manager to control all aspects of the club. When it comes to just coaching, I think the I think the level of um, the level of knowledge available to people now um, at this at this day and age, I think, is so is so much more vast and so so much broader that you can develop these minds, develop these coaches from a a less hands-on perspective. That when you get them into these positions, they're so much more developed and have such a more um, so much more capability to succeed than what they did twenty years ago, for example. You look down the experienced route. And, you know, you could argue, you look at Roy Hodgson compared to John Eustace, who's got the most experience, unquestionably yeah. Roy Hodgson. But yeah. what's going to be more effective in the situation we're in now? John Eustace, I'm not entirely sure. To be quite honest with you, it's very hard to tell. Um, I, I've been looking at his QPR, um, his time at QPR, but the John Eustace name has come to the forefront a little bit too quickly for me to be fully prepared on him for this episode. But um, what I will say is that he does seem highly regarded. Now, that's obviously a very broad statement, which can be can be made by anyone, but I, I think he does seem highly regarded. I've spoken to a few people that they've worked within certain setups with where John Eustace has been involved. And they said that he's, he was very good, very, very thoughtful in his approach, a good communicator, which would expect, but someone that has a, a built in or a, a structured idea of how he wants to develop uh, his teams and what he likes to see on the pitch. Now that's something we've really been lacking is, is that clear picture from a head coach. Does John Eustace bring that? It sounds like it, but is the fit there? I'm not entirely sure. So I don't want to say too much in, in terms of that. I don't want to be too confident, too negative on someone. I'm not. I'm not. Have done full due diligence on. But it does seem that some 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 people do appreciate him, and I do believe that Watford are a fan of John Eustace uh, as a coach. So I don't think we should write him off through lack of experience. I think we have to look at the at what he does in that time, and it is a bit of a gamble because he doesn't have a large body of work to draw from necessarily. So whilst you, whilst not having experience is not necessarily negative, it does make it a little bit hard to do your research. You have to kind of take more from what he says. Then the, the interview process becomes really important. How can he portray his ideas, the ownership? How can he show his plans and that he has the capability to improve things? Not long ago, he became the number two at the uh, Irish national team, didn't he, under Stephen Kenny? That's correct, yeah. You know, he'd be leaving that job, I presume, unless Watford would allow him to continue in that position. He'll be, yeah, I, I, don't know, I don't know. If they, I don't know if they would. So he, he would have to give that up. You know, after you know, not not long in that job, if if he wanted to come and manage it at Vicarage Road. I think that's a that's a, a good trade off for him, though, isn't it? I think that's something that he. I mean, it, it, he ultimately he wants to be a, a first team, you know, manager, head coach, and and 
going to Watford is a good route to do so. I, I, I think it's, um, whilst there's been a lot of talk about the job at Watford being kind of something you want to stay away from, I, I do disagree. I think it's actually a good opportunity um, for these guys. And I think that we can we can become um, a, a destination for coaches looking to develop in this way. And we've seen, we've discussed before, it's a copycat league. Football is it's a copycat game. If, if you start to see success somewhere, you try and replicate that. And we're seeing success now. Uh, from clubs that are given these 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 guys opportunities, and if we feel that John Eustace meets those those specifications, then then why not? Um, Cisco, I think, is a slightly different situation, but with with Eustace, I think there's there's an opportunity there. Um, but it, it'll be hard to say. It'll be interesting to see uh, what we can dig up and what what kind of we can draw from his time for a, Q, a QPR, for example. Uh, but I think, as I said, a lot of this to come down to how how the club view him. Uh, through the interview process that takes place. That's interesting. I I would have thought that um, a lot of managers would have viewed Watford as a poison chalice, but you're saying you don't think it will it will be viewed that way by by people. I I don't think so. I, I don't think so because I mean, look, Watford are viewed as someone's going to fire early. You don't lose much credibility to be to, from being fired from Watford. I don't think. Uh, I, I think it's somewhere that you can come and. Now you might feel like you've got a little bit more room to work with, but it's, it's still a high-profile job. Watford is still one of the top teams in the country, if you think about it. It's, it's an op- opportunity for managers to come into. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily saying they want to stay away from financially. You're going to get paid off anyway. Um, you're, going to, you're going to do well there. But from a reputation perspective, I don't think it's the reputation killer that it's presented as. I think it's an opportunity to come and work. And a lot of managers are just looking for that chance. So I, I think it's still something that's very appealing for a lot of coaches. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the next uh, favourite in the... What, what, the second-placed favourite? Is that, is that how you describe it? Not sure. Maybe. I guess so. Second in the running. I second in the running. Yeah, saying. that's a better way of doing it. Well, that man is Kieran McKenna. He is a 35-year-old coach uh, at uh, Ipswich Town who's um, mm-hmm. earned quite rave reviews this season despite not managing to to sort of get them towards a, a promotion push. But, um, you know, he's understandably been doing a decent job on, on quite a limited budget. What, what do we know about this guy, John? You're, you're sort of familiar with Ipswich, aren't you? Yeah, he joined partway through um, the season two, which which affected his um, run to the, to the playoffs. But I lived for quite a long time near Ipswich, so I have a few Ipswich sporting friends who I spoke to. Uh, as well as the last couple of days, actually kind of trying to delve into some of the footage and actually seeing what he's done. Uh, just before recording, it seemed like he was the, the kind of front runner at that point. So he's kind of what I put the most most time into. But speaking of a few people there, as well as some other Ipswich fans, and I had a bit of a chat with Lil Wands as well. He's managed to kind of speak to a few himself, uh, to try and do a little bit of due diligence work on our next manager. And McKenna's an interesting one. Uh, he definitely fits the mould of kind of that progressive young manager looking to to make a name for himself, but kind of entering these lower standard positions with an advanced knowledge of the game and, uh, and big ideas in, in terms of how to play. He's someone that has has changed the fortunes of of, of a team in, in in terms of their play style, the way that they where they operate on the pitch has definitely developed, and he's definitely established a style there. My my conversations with Ipswich uh, supporting friends was prior to his arrival. There was no, there was no, no understanding of what the club's aim was in terms of uh, on on the pitch performance. There was no style in place. There was no clear uh, philosophy coming through on the pitch, and that was changed very quickly with the introduction of McKenna, uh, someone that does come in with those ideas and, and has a, a firm belief in them. He's someone that does play 
predominantly with a back three setup, slightly slight variations within the, in the positioning of the players. You know, they might be looking at a, a kind of a three, uh, three, four, three, or you know, more of a traditional three, five, two, or even a, a three, four, two, one. These are all slight tweaks to a, to a back three system, of course, but it does change the way your attackers operate, and it's a nice, nice level of versatility we'd like to see. If you've got a you've got a range of forwards available to you, see, seeing the head coach that's able to play around with them and and find different ways of fitting them in, depending on the opposition, is always useful. But obviously, the key there is the back three. Uh, this is a something we've discussed with with David as well uh, when we kind of talk about Brentford and how these three at the back systems are a trend in in teams that are fighting for promotion. They're successful. Didn't Watford get up with a three at the back? Uh, we did get under Slavisa Jukanovic, was it? Yeah, exactly. We did. We've, we've had a little bit of variation. We, we did play the back four in the diamond uh, on occasion, but yeah, the back three was a, was a big part of things. And it's not perfect. Obviously, we've seen um, negative utilization of back three for the likes of Walter Mazzari. Uh, we've, we've seen some unsuccessful versions of it. It all depends on kind of how you utilize it. It's a very dynamic, um, broad, I say it's probably the most it's probably the most versatile system in football in regards to how you can use it, but it does require some it does require some some real understanding and it can be hard to implement on a, on a team that's not comfortable with it. I think if you just tell the team to go and play in a back three, it can be a disaster if it's not if it's not not done correctly. But what I'll say about McKenna and his, his, his time at Ipswich is that he has installed a really interesting um, uh, variant of a back three, the way he uses those players. You know, you think about a back three on the pitch, obviously it's hard, a little bit hard to describe, we're just kind of talking over audio here, but the, the spacing that it, that it allows you, um, the, the way to, to create overloads in certain areas, defensively you can structure yourself very nicely, you can be compact, but if you have some versatility in those outside centre-backs, if you trust those players in more forward areas, um, you can allow them to play in a little bit more advanced positions. You can allow them to integrate with the fullback a little bit more or wing back. Um, midfielders have a lot more passing options. Mm. You can play around with that front three. You can still play with uh, with four wide players in the sense. You know, you think about this more traditional uh, fullbacks overlapping. With, look at Kiko Femenia, Hassan Kamara. These are players that can get forward and play in a wing back position. But um, you're still able to create these kind of wider overloads with the likes of Ismail Asar, Emmanuel Dennis, these players that can play in these wide areas too. There's nothing to stop you doing that, as well as having a more kind of conventional three-man midfield. You can you can be very fluid, and that's something we've got to look for. But the key for a back three system uh, and developing something which is uh, versatile is that when you do get promoted, if you are ultimately looking for promotion, uh, the disruption that takes place when switching from a possession-based, kind of more aggressive, more dominant team to becoming a more counter-attacking, compact team, playing within a back three and playing within that system, you only have to make a few minor tweaks and suddenly you're a much more defensive outfit. It's not perfect. It requires a lot of discipline, a lot of understanding, but that transitional period, I think, is really key. And that's something, well, that's a big element of why we're seeing these teams that are going up utilising that system. You look at Brentford, the change in, in his style was, was pretty big in terms of how they've gone from the Championship to the Premier League, but much of their structures remained the same. And that that's consistency, which is something that's required across recruitment, um, the, the way you're bringing in players, the way you're dealing with your squad depth, your squad management, it's all impacted heavily by the style of football you're playing. So whilst you're right, we did we did go up with the three at the back under Djokanovic. When we did go up, we switched entirely to a 4-4-2 and look at the kind of mismatch we had in the squad. And it, it, it worked, but we had a lot of holes. We had a lot of like over overblown positional groups and centre-backs and so on. So I think the back three is something we're going to see. And I think that's something we're going to see 
consistently across the managers that we're, we're looking at. I think it's potentially going to be the option. Now, Martinez was an outlier in that sense. Diego Martinez is not a back three player uh, manager necessarily. He has done, but he also likes to play other other formations too. But with McKenna, that's definitely his style of play um, and something that the club would have to be looking to adopt from every perspective, um, recruitment-wise, should he be appointed. Now, Martinez, you mentioned there, is someone who was also in the line to uh, to get the Watford job. He's kind of fallen back a bit since in terms of um, the odds, but um, he's definitely someone that a lot of people still like and that we know that Pozzo's like as well. Do you feel as though um, there's reason behind why he's fallen out of the the, the line? Is, is it because um, he's, he's said something somewhere that um, indicated that he's not interested in the job or anything that you know? Yeah, it's possible. I've not I've not heard anything specifically regarding Martinez for a little while, but it, it, yeah, it's possible there's there's something he's maybe he doesn't want the job, maybe he does, maybe we're considering other options, or maybe this maybe it's still open. We're just looking to to interview as many as we can and actually find uh, someone that we we feel as comfortable at, as possible with. And maybe he's not that guy. Maybe he is. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. I do like a lot of the. I think there's a lot of upside to Martinez as a coach. I think he would suit um, suit some of the players we have in this in this team currently, uh, and I think that he's he's an interesting manager. I think it'd be an interesting choice. I, of course, it'd be a bit of a risk, but I think everyone we're going to bring in is, is going to be a bit of a risk to some degree. Um, he plays the level of risk that we haven't played with for a while offensively. Um, maybe we see that as negative. Maybe we see it as a positive. I'm not I'm not entirely sure, but his name definitely has kind of fallen out of line a little bit. Uh, but I wouldn't rule him out by any means. I think it's still a, a, a possibility that he'd be one of those that's included in this process of uh, of obtaining a new coach. Coming back to the list of, of names I have in front of me of, of, of the favourites, the next uh, the next person who's been mentioned is Gareth Ainsworth, who uh, is, of course, the, the, the Wickham manager. I think he's been in charge there for maybe a decade a while, or something. Yeah. Or, I mean, he's, he's got to be... I haven't actually looked into this. I should have done, really. But I would say... I would say He's probably the longest-serving manager in definitely League One. Maybe, maybe the EFL. I mean, that's entirely possible. He's been there for a for a long time. Yeah, I, this is this is one I'm not really sure on. I I, I don't see this one so much. Um, yeah, I I just this one doesn't really ring true with what the club have talked about and what I imagine we'd be looking. It just just seems like an odd fit. What, what do you feel about this one? I like him because I like the loyalty that he's benefited from at Wickham, which has given him this ability to really grow with the team and really kind of put his philosophy onto the pitch. And and we've, you've kind of seen the incremental increases in his ability and, and that being reflected in, in the side. And, you know, he's managed to take them from, I think, roughly a kind of like mid-table League One side to, um, mm. you know, to the championship. And then now that they've managed to secure another playoff um finish which is fantastic and and they may even end up um you know in the championship again um yeah so you know i think he's i think he's done a great job there at, at, at league one and I, I also like him because uh you like his I, hair don't you well i do like his hair i do like his <laughs> hair i like the fact that he likes rock music but he's just yeah. different i like the fact that he's different yeah i think there's also um there seems to be a strong link with him and blackburn as well with mowbray being on the way out apparently he's a Ainsworth's a Blackburn fan as well, which would I think that would be a good fit. I can see that a little more. So I'm just not sure. Whilst I think his job at, at Wickham has been very impressive, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the route we'd like to be going down from a from managerial perspective, just in terms of his his approach. I, it, it's not necessarily a criticism against Ainsworth. It's more of just a fit issue, I'd say. By the way, he is number two in the list of um, 
longest serving managers, the number one is Simon Weaver with Harrogate Town. Although, to be fair, Harrogate Town were not a football league side for all of that time. So I yeah. think that's a bit unfair. But anyway, he's number two. So mm-hmm. I, think, I think Ainsworth should get that on a technicality, honestly. I think so but, too. But yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my thoughts on Ainsworth. Not, not convinced there. Interestingly, do you know who the uh, the number two, the number three is in the in the in the AFL? Yeah, oh. another League One team. I wouldn't have been able to get to the answer to this one. Go on, hit me. I'm intrigued. John Coleman at Accrington Stanley. There you go. Oh, yeah, under the radar. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, I, I honestly wouldn't have even. I wouldn't have even thought of it. To be honest with you. And then fourth and fifth are Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola, respectively. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Huh. Yeah. In educational. Thanks, Matt. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. This <laughs> show is it. nothing but educational. Nothing but that, no. No. <laughs> Who's next? Who have, we, who have we got? Um. So after Gareth Ainsworth, the next person that's been mentioned is Liam Manning at MK Dons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, another team that's done well this season, uh, narrowly missed out on automatic promotion from League One. And again, we'll be battling in the playoffs for a, a, a spot in the championship. What, what do you think of Liam yes. Manning? Yes. I, it's similar, similar kind of similar thoughts uh, on Manning as McKenna. To be completely honest with you, I still I've I've watched I've managed to watch bits and pieces of um of of MK Dons, but I've not watched as as thoroughly as I've been looking into uh, into McKenna for the last couple of days. But I think you're looking at some of the similar principles uh, in terms of the uh, play style and, and the way he likes to develop. Now, I've been quite impressed with MK Dons how they've approached um, their recruitment of managers the last couple of years. Obviously, Russell Martin has been one, um, which has been you know, done very well and moved on to Swansea. And that, that kind of identification process for coaches has been has been pretty good. And I think they've, they've continued that with McKenna and uh, sorry with Manning. As I say, there are some similarities there. Both he was also at Ipswich for a while, so I again was able to to find out a little bit from there, but. I think there's lots of positives. I, I think there are there are that he's well thought of by the ownership. I think in the athletic article that was mentioned, I'm not sure if it named him or not in there, but um, Manning was the was the, the the coach they were discussing in regards to um, having obligations still before the season ends, but someone they're interested in. And I, I can see why. Uh, I, I think he does bring some some of the principles that we we really need to to get into this team and into this squad. Uh, I think he's another one to be to be intrigued by for sure. Yeah, he was apparently quite instrumental in the development of of Rice at West Ham when he was, uh, you know, the mm. under twenty threes coach there. Um, Got you. Uh, and interestingly, uh, I didn't know this about him, but uh, he managed in Belgium um, as the head coach of Lommel SK in the Belgium second division. Was a little bit of experience, you know, on that. So that's that's you know, it's something it's something to consider. And I just think I just think he offers again, he offers something a little bit different. And there's there's there are there are traits to his managerial style that you'd like to see. There's obviously a little bit more footage of him. He's, he's had a little bit of a longer spell in the games. So there's more to watch, but you are kind of looking at that at that theory of the back shape again, um, fluidity and versatility in the forward areas. Using uh, use of players is, is is relatively unique, and he allows him to allows them to be open to, to kind of fitting different styles of players in depending on the opponent, which is always nice. And, um, you know, high possession a lot of the time, able to dominate the ball and, and create goals and opportunities. It's, it's something we need to, we need to address. We need to find ways to do so. And I think you look at these coaches and, and so far, you know, some of the names that have mentioned, they do give you hope that that, that can be found in those sorts of situations. Okay. So it was with, uh, 
Lomoleske are part of the City Football Group. That's possibly how he was able to move across there because he was working previously with um, the Major League Soccer side, uh, New York City, who were also part of the City Football Group. So there you go. Interesting stuff. Yeah. That is interesting, yeah. I, I like it. Um, do we have any other names on the list here? Yeah, there's a couple in the background that um, aren't as high up, but um, those people are Wayne Rooney and uh, Sean Dyche. Okay. So, yeah. um, I mean, Wayne Rooney, obviously everyone knows who he is. Uh, he's got experience at championship level with Derby and look, he did a decent job there despite the fact that they had such you know catastrophic problems. My feeling is that he would want to have the opportunity to get them back up. I don't know if he would want to leave that team where they are currently. But I don't know. Would you, do you think he would view Watford as a, a step up or potentially? I'm just not. I'm. I'm less can. I don't know. It, I think he would, but I, I could also see him being pulled into the Everton job as well. Yeah, you think he would move all the way to the to the Premier League Possibly. based on what he's done so far? It could do. Maybe, yeah, potentially, I don't know. Exactly, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's a hard one to judge, but I just I just don't get the feeling that, that Rooney and, and Watford are a good fit. I'm not sure it would happen to us with you. Whilst I do see some positives there, I also kind of like a few more of the of the, of the signs I've seen from some of the managers that have been mentioned already. And then Sean Dyche, I don't know if he if he would even consider coming back to the team that uh, sacked him. Although, having said that, um, Flores came back after having been sacked, didn't he? So, uh, yeah. In fact, Roy, Hod- Roy really... Hodgson came back after be- having been sacked true. by the same. So, I mean, there's, there's history there, isn't there? True, true. I mean, yeah, I, less in less intrigued by Deitch. I don't... Whilst Deitch obviously has done a good job at Burnley, I think there are certain situations he fits, but I, I think he's a, a niche sort of manager. We don't necessarily want to be going down that route. I don't think it's the optimal way for us to to regress as a club. Whilst it does bring some positives, there were also a lot of a lot of warning signs at Burnley. Um, uh, things were deteriorating despite some overperformance in, in certain areas. There was there are a lot of factors at play. It wasn't just down to Dykes. And I think that heading into that into that realm might be something we regret. And I I, I just. I just don't think Deitch is a way forward for us as a club right now, personally. He works well in the, in, in the way that he operates, but I just don't know how effective that that approach will be for how long. Uh, and once you take out all the other environmental factors and things that he has at his disposal at Burnley, once you take him out of that situation, I'm not sure how easily that success would translate into a different set of circumstances. Not so, uh, whereas in other situations where we are kind of harboring a head coach mentality. Burnley gave him a little bit more freedom to, to kind of operate. And I think operating under a head coach um, situation, I think is much more suitable to the other names that we've mentioned. Probably should also mention that Fabio Cannavaro was mentioned uh, previously actually, by a few yeah. sources. He's not actually currently up there at the minute in terms of the odds, but that doesn't mean that he's not going to be someone that's, that's brought in, especially given the Italian connection and that we know he's been to the club in the past uh, at actually, the invitation yeah. of the Pozzo, doesn't he? So... Good point. Yeah, it's in regards to Cannavaro, that's an interesting one. I do, I do like some of the upside of Cannavaro, but maybe for a slightly different, different reason. Um, when so I went and watched some Cannavaro actually, uh, his time in, as manager of China, uh, I do find uh, being completely honest, I find it a little bit difficult when I look at some of these kind of more obscure leagues or some of the kind of lower international teams to to gauge as much or kind of get as much information as I'd like, just because of the the standard can be very, very varied. Uh, it can be hard sometimes for 
coaches to portray their ideas to a lower standard team or in, in those situations it can be hard to maybe gather as much as you want in terms of what the coach is trying to do but what I do think uh, Calabaro bring uh, from a head coach perspective is he does bring which is this is intangible which I don't normally like to to bring in managers based on these sorts of things or consider them with this being a real strong point necessarily but in our situation at Watford FC we've had some issues with um, I think we've had some authority issues. I think the the role of head coach has often often lacked authority, um, and I think we've also kind of developed a culture at the club where the playing staff is very fragile in terms of their mentality, and not doesn't take much to knock it off course. And I think having a coach, someone that does demand the respect of Fabio Cannavaro, there's not a single player that would not expect uh, would not respect Cannavaro in that dressing room. And I'm not saying these players are necessarily openly disrespectful to their coaches, but I do think that someone of that pedigree does um, does kind of demand a certain level of respect, which I think would be a good a, a good fit for the club in terms of where we currently are. The thing that's nice about Canavaro is that he has that as well as um, some positives from the coaching side of things. He does seem to he does seem to play in a manner which would suit us. Maybe not quite as maybe not quite as expansive uh, as what we've seen from some of the others in terms of. Um, Manning and, and McKenna but someone that is still you know looking to move in the direction we're heading towards so if the club found that as a, an easier transition a smoother fit it wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing well I don't think I think there's there could be some upside there um, as well so so Canavaro is definitely one to keep an eye on the, this, this supposedly he interviewed the job um, previously and he's obviously been in touch with uh, with the ownership so it's definitely potential and these things can obviously change very quickly and, and you know you never know how these things pan out but he's one to keep an eye on but just to kind of yeah set wrap up on that question is a long-winded answer but I think the the mold of McKenna um, and Manning is kind of the, the route I'd like us to go down at this point based on the, kind of everything that's been said from the club so far okay cool good stuff we've kind of discussed obviously um, the, these managers just now pretty heavily but in, in terms of in terms of who I'll go for, I, I think rather than the individual name, it's more about the the traits that we see from the coach. And I think McKenna and Manning are two that that really do sound positive. I know I know Russell Martin's been mentioned too. I don't think that's someone that we're likely to be able to pry away from Swansea, unfortunately. Um, and I would probably I'll probably lean towards um, to, towards Manning or McKenna. Uh, Martinez is still up there for me, but in terms of what's been said, I'm trying to trying to add up together all the the likelihoods and you know what the club have said what what kind of where we are right now and what what route we'd look to go down it seems to be kind of pushing towards this um this british approach now the kind of names that have been mentioned to the athletic and the names we've covered there i like those two based on how they obviously how they play the game but how i think they could integrate into the team that we're looking to create the environment we're looking to harbor i think we are trying to change the approach as a club it's going to be a transitional phase and I think those are two that can adapt quite well to that situation. I think they're two coaches that can fit uh, fit the situation of the club, which is, of course, extremely important when the club are going to be having to adapt to so many areas. I think they're a, a, a sort of coach that can allow us to progress incrementally, as you said, the way that you saw at Wickham. It might not be instant success. If the club are genuinely going to allow more time for the head coach, I think that's good. We have to, we have to allow for that in certain situations. Obviously, they're not absolved from any failure whatsoever but you have to be able to have a little bit more patience see how they can develop and i, I think they fit and that's that's the, the main thing we're looking for here um uh, as well as that 
I think the types of players they use, the way they look to play the game, I think it does somewhat fit in with the way that we're going to approach recruitment. Again, an area that we have to adapt in, we have to make some changes, but there are some elements there based on the squad we currently have, players that we sort, sort of brought in already that do fit that style of play. And I think trying to find that blend of, of new um, new and current and trying to find a, mix them together and find the best fit possible, I think they're all kind of along those lines, a, a, a positive move. Whether or not we're able to, to facilitate that move, it's still relatively unclear. But um, th- those two guys in particular, I do think, um, offer us a lot of hope. Okay. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, good stuff. Um, should we move on to a couple of questions that um, were posed yep. last week that we didn't have time to answer? Let's get to it. Let's start with one from Vic Bate then. He said, given money's going to be tight again, who might arrive from Udinese on loan and from our training ground neighbours? I suppose presumably Arsenal. He means by that. Yeah, see, uh, see, the Arsenal one is a um, is an interesting one. It, in terms of Udinese, it's, it's it's a little bit hard to say. I think it wouldn't surprise me if players that that enter that come to Watford from Udinese are players that are signed by Udinese in the summer that come straight here, rather than um, necessarily those from their squad currently. But I think the point that he mentions on on Arsenal is interesting there because there's been talk of of Arsenal and, and Watford wanting to have more of a stronger. Uh, connection in terms of um, you know loaning and just not necessarily a feeder club but somewhere that club uh, players can go to develop um, if, if if suited and I think that's a this is something that I think when it when it comes to um, restructuring the club and, and changing the the way that we operate I think it's something that has to be considered and I think it's a, an avenue that's not not really been investigated too much and that's how you can benefit from these situations. The loan market is still very useful. It's still a very cost-effective way of of bringing talent into your team. But clubs are getting smarter at how they operate. Clubs want to know that if they're sending a player to Watford, 
how are we going to play? How are we going to, what, what's our approach going to be? Are we going to develop the player in a way that's going to benefit the team that's loaning them? Is, is Mikel Arteta going to look at one of his youth players and see Watford as a destination um, for them to go and develop and come back with some of the traits, with some of the, with some of the ability to fit in and integrate into a side that he's, he's coaching? So you look for some similarities there, and I think we'd be smart um, to to look for a team that that does suit us and we suit them, and it, that could be Arsenal. If we have a change in in how we approach things, if we bring the manager in, he kind of fits along some of those, has some similarities to to how Arsenal operate on and play. Not that to be identical, but it's kind of have some similarities there. That could be um, a new promising. Uh, relationship and there's obviously a lot of talent at Arsenal that could be used quite well uh, at Watford in, in the right under the right circumstances so in terms of direct names it's difficult to predict but um, I would expect to have some some movement between uh, between those clubs mm. actually don't um don't Arsenal have a guy on loan at Udinese I want to say Mari is it Mari? Or... Oh, Pablo Mari. Yeah, Mari's a little bit different because he's a he's an older defender who wasn't so much like a youth um, experience situation. It was more of a didn't work out signing, had to had to facilitate a move, and the loan was the cleanest option at the time. But yeah, there is a connection there. Yeah, I, I see. I think they want to sign him. I think uh, Udinese. Um, yeah, quite like I think him. you're right. Yeah, so it's a working connection at the very least. It's a there's 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 history of business between the between the clubs between the owners. So, you know, I think it's obviously, I mean, we can discuss the location. It, it is actually relevant in some ways because it's very easy to monitor those players from a from a, um, from a a kind of training standpoint in terms of injuries, rehabilitation. It's easy to kind of cross between. I, I think it's a relationship which has actually been underutilized in many ways. And if we could tap into that, I do think it would be beneficial. And as I said, I think it does take... A little bit of um, a little bit of adaptation from the club, but if you're in a effectively a rebuild situation, this is a big this is a big area of of opportunity to consider when it comes to to planning the, the kind of trajectory of your team over the next few years. And I, I think Arsenal is is a potential um, a potential suitor to that that situation. Mm. They've got a couple of players there that, that um, you know might be of interest of, to Watford at uh, Udinese. Um, I, yeah. mean, I mean, obviously, one of the first ones we need to swell is is Pesetta going to come back, or does you think he will just sign for Udinese permanently because he's currently a Watford player? Yeah, I don't think that's one that will transfer. I think that's probably one that's going to he's going to be at Udinese next year. I can't see him trying that again. No, a bit. Unfortunately, did he, did he get a chance in the championship, or was that done before? Very he... little. He got very little chance. That wasn't he, he? He had a couple. He had a cup match and or two. I can recall him playing, um, but I, I, it wasn't very long that he had an opportunity in the championship. Okay, fair enough. Um, right, next question is: Do you think Gino Pozzo? This one comes from uh, Joel Isaac Helpern. Do you think Gino Pozzo is happy uh, with the way Scott Duxbury has performed in his, in his CEO duties since Watford were relegated uh, two years ago, and he's managed to achieve the same feat uh, this season. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine he's happy necessarily. The, the difficulty with Duxbury and commentary on Duxbury is I don't think anyone's entirely clear on uh, or what his actual role is in certain situations. Now, he's, he seems to be a CEO that has perhaps more of a more of a hand in recruitment and, and acquisition of players and staff than you necessarily want from a CEO of a football club. Generally, it's more of a business-orientated position, but he seems to be relatively involved in the footballing side. So it's, it's difficult to say what his responsibilities are and then 
in turn what kind of weight he he has in in terms of blame or credit if things go right but but blame if things go poorly but look i think ultimately you can't look at his time over the last couple of years as a, as a success if you if you look at it from a football perspective or a pr perspective or or however now obviously there's there's off the field things that are discussed and, and scott himself brings up um when he makes these sort of statements there are positive things the club have done and, and areas that i think that scott should be given credit for and things that i think should define his role more than anything is how he operates in those situations and, and there have been positives there but if he does have a role in some of the other aspects of the club then there's also been some negatives and i think that that has to be seen as a, as an issue for for Gino. I, I I think that whilst it seems that Duxbury and, and Gino Pozzo have a good relationship, uh, I, I would not think that that Duxbury is necessarily untouchable in his role. Um, and I'm sure that he he's aware that things have to to improve. Yeah, I expect him to be in in charge uh, unless something you know huge happens. But but you know. I don't know if he's it would be it would be it. massive, wouldn't it? It would feel massive if it, if if he was released from his his role, wouldn't it? And it would be it'd be interesting to see um, how it proceed from there. But what I do think is a, a full a kind of full autopsy has to take place at the end of the season. And Scott Duxbury, whilst I'm sure he'll be involved in that, I don't think he should be exempt from one of the names to be to be looking at and, and saying, is this the best fit for the club? Can we move forward now? You know, Gino Pozzo might look at that and think, yeah, okay, there are some issues here, but changing CEO at this point might impact negatively our attempt to get back into Premier League at the first time of asking, which is ultimately the main goal. So this might be a decision that is pushed back another year. Mm. Okay, fair enough. Um, next one, this one comes from Ricky Oldridge. He says, what are your thoughts on the lone boys currently out? And uh, will any of them be given an extended run in the side next season? Yeah, I think we kind of discussed this question a little bit um, in the last episode, the one before. But yeah, yeah we do have some players that, that are out on loan. And obviously, Zinkane has been playing an important part in, in Forest's uh, playoff push and promotion push over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, he's uh, got, got a shout out getting them uh, automatic, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely someone that, you know, may, we we may not be able to keep hold of. And we, we have the likes of him. We have um, uh, obviously Tom Dilly Bashira as well. He, he's, he's potential to be coming back and playing. Joseph Hungbo. Um, all, all players that are, that are capable of coming back and contributing. So there's there's some promise there, and I think it's definitely something. All things are going to have to be considered when it comes to identifying the squad and, and building that squad for the next season. All things have to be considered, and this is, this kind of goes in line with the coach you're bringing in too. You know, if you bring in the coach, that plays a certain way, way we have an idea of of players that he'll like to see. And I think what's important is having the head coach in before pre-season and allowing him to, to make that assessment all the players he has at his disposal uh, and working from there. Um, this also goes, just to kind of go off a little bit on the loan situation, this also goes, it, it works both ways when it comes to us finding um, finding a, a, a somewhat of a feeder club, becoming a feeder club, finding some sort of parent club, perhaps operating in a, in a more intimate relationship with those uh, in terms of recruitment. I think we should also be doing um, a little bit more as things go on to, to to find a way to operate within the loan market to facilitate um, development of our players in a way which suits us too. Because whilst we do have some players we loan out um, just to kind of keep away from the squad, it hasn't worked out, we need to get them off the books. But there are some, like the ones you mentioned in, in terms of Hungbo and, and Tom Dilly Bashiri, which we look at from a developmental situation standpoint, we have to kind of be a little bit more concise in how we how we find those those homes for the clubs because we've had a few loans uh, over the years when it comes to developing players. You know, look at Panaranda, for example. We've had lots of kind of 
just random loans which have been very last minute and just seem kind of anywhere they can we can they can place them. I think we have to improve <laughs> there because we've seen some success from uh, from some of the, the loan situations we've had, and most of them have come from the likes of Tom Davisheri, who went to a team which fit which fit what he wanted, what he needed to develop. Uh, and even uh, Dominguez Quina, there's an opportunity there. The, the first spell didn't work out for them, but Barnsley was more promising. It looks like he might come back a better player for it. Yeah, um, Matty... Uh, Matty Pollock, yes. You know, he's going to a shout of going straight into the team next season, isn't he? Well, young player of the season at Cheltenham. I think I, I actually spoke to a, um, a couple of Cheltenham fans and asked, because I hadn't got a chance to watch any of Cheltenham, and I wondered kind of how he'd been getting on. And they said that he was, he was you know, their, their young player of the season, obviously. That was, a, that was a positive, but he was someone that was very dominant defensively, strong, um, physical, athletic, a little bit stiff. Um, not someone you want to be giving a lot of possession, which we're talking about the likes of Manning and uh, uh, McKenna. You know, these are perhaps not players necessarily fit entirely into the team, maybe in that central centre-back position, but you want to be a little bit more kind of sophisticated on the ball in some of those outside centre-back roles. But look, he has he has upside, he has promise, and he's someone that I'd expect to be part of the squad next season. Maybe not a starter. You know, maybe there's an opportunity there for him. It's, he has potential to be, uh, but being a young player, he went out on loan, and that's a successful loan period. You know, he went to Cheltenham, and he, he was playing regularly, he did well, and he progressed. And that's exactly what we're looking for. And now he comes back with an opportunity to get the first team, um, should he take it. So, yeah, I think he, he's definitely one that's um, that's in with a shout there and, and arguably one with one of the best chances of finding that starting spot upon his return. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, some of those guys next season, particularly him. My thoughts are maybe he'll get another loan move, though. But um, I'd like I'd like to see him get, get given a chance, personally. He'll certainly get yeah. some get some sort of a chance in in summer, I think, and then we'll, I guess, I guess whoever the new coaches will decide whether he wants to take him on or not. Mm-hmm. Um, just as long as it doesn't become a um, Ben Wilmot. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean that was disappointing, really, because I still think that he could have done a job for us in in the in the Premier League this season. I mean, it couldn't yeah. it couldn't have been much worse than what we had, could he? No, I mean, <clears throat> he he certainly he certainly would suit. Um suit a different style of manager for sure i think it's all you know oftentimes it's not about ability and quality it's about fit and, and when you have such a turbulent way of approaching things you know you have some players that fit a certain fit certain coaches and don't fit others and you end up with this situation of um, promising players being let go uh, and kind of finding ourselves in this situation which is just another reason why we have to uh, we have to kind of find um, a more consistent way of um, of approaching things in general Last question that I've got here then, uh, and it is kind of quite a few questions, so I'll, I'll shout them out and then we can sort of go through them quickly. Thoughts on Watford looking likely to get its lowest ever Premier League points in a season? Uh, yes. Has it has it really been slash felt that bad? Uh, amazing we're not relegated already. That's just more like a statement. And uh, are we uh, a worse team than the other campaigns, even under Boothroyd? Or is the Premier League too far gone in competing with lesser clubs? Um, okay, so the first three, I'd say yes. <laughs> um, I don't know, is there anything you want to expand on the first the, the, the early questions there? Um, no, I think it really has been the worst Premier League season that we've experienced based yeah. on the fact that there was more hope I feel at the start of this season that it was under either mm. the Graham Taylor season or the Boothroyd season. Yeah, I mean, in terms of um, this team being being worse than the Boothroyd team, I, 
But I don't think the quality of the team is worse. No, the, the quality, the quality in the team there is there is some talent in there, and there was some, the, the Booth Boy team had some real talent deficiencies. Uh, but, the, but the league standard was different too, and the, the teams we were competing around us um, to stay up were different. But I think the the main change or the main difference I say between the two is that the club is at a is at a better point of, on a better platform to to find more success in the near future. Where I think under under Boothroyd that season really felt like that was the, the pinnacle of our successes, and that the drop to the championship was inevitable when there was no real certainty or or feeling of certainty that we'd find a way back up very very quickly so yeah, I, I think the team is better now there were some good players in that team don't be wrong and there were some that would, that would get into this team but as a as a collective uh, i think the quality of player is, is better currently yeah I, I'd, I'd, I'd agree and that's what makes it uh harder to accept that that they've performed so poorly because i think yeah most people if they're being realistic would say that the the quality of players that we had could have could have that's the big word here got uh mm. you know a lower mid table position this season but for some reason it just yeah. didn't uh didn't happen no but i felt no, i felt I, I, I think... felt you know i felt as though look, if you ask me honestly at the end of um like our transfer business before the premier league properly kicked off i'd have said the only issue that I had was that I didn't think we had recruited in the centre-back position enough, but I was happy yeah. everywhere else. I was happy up front, I was happy on the wings, I was happy in midfield. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have been, but um, I felt as though that we had made recruitment there, and um, to be fair, we didn't really know what, what Kuchka was going to be like, or 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 we, and I was pretty happy with the fact that we had brought in um, Oh, what, uh, Sissoko. Dennis, oh, oh yeah, I, I mean Dennis, I didn't know much about until he started. Um, yeah, but I felt as though King was a decent acquisition. I liked the fact that we brought in King. I thought he was going to be the more important player this season, actually. Yeah, yeah. Him compared fair. to Dennis. Um, I, yeah. actually on the left, I suppose we were a bit weak. I thought we, I thought we were weak on the left, but um, we eventually shored that up with Kamara, but um. Yeah, those were the two areas that I, I felt actually uh, centre back and left and left back, but that shouldn't have been the deciding factor. It was a lot more than that. I, I think I think one of the big differences too. I think I think coaching um, up and down the, the league structures improved uh, significantly. I think the the, the coaching and defending's improved a lot. I think teams are defensively much better than they used to be. Um, just teams have become more sophisticated and teams have become smarter because the catch up. Whilst there's still a big gap in terms of financial. Uh, incentive and, and capability uh, i do think that the talent is working its way down and i think you are finding um a, a better standard of football being played for the championship and and all these elements have improved and i, I think where we were on the boothroyd was is just a much different time in the sport um I, I think it's come on quite a long way so i think it's hard to it's hard to compare the two um but yeah i'd say we, i'd say all things considered we are better now it's just this is a different environment to compete in all right, okay. Um, I think that brings us to a, a conclusion for this week. Uh, thanks to, to Jordan Weimer for joining me again. Um, I hope you're feeling better soon, Jordan, as well. <laughs> no, I feel much better now. I mean, last time we recorded, I struggled, to be honest with you, but um, we made it through and I'm, I'm feeling much more like a like a human being than I was previously. Good stuff. Uh, at time of recording, it's still nil-nil between Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest, so uh, no idea who's going to win that to basically uh, promotion game isn't it I think <laughs> mm, yeah it's a 
Big one. Big one. Interesting one. But, uh, yeah, um, we've been the Watford Buzz podcast. Uh, please do give us a rating um, out of five on our uh, review section at the bottom of the Apple Podcasts. Just sort of scroll down and you can give us a rating and even jot a little comment as well. We always love to read them. Uh, and if you do give us one, we'll, we'll read it out on the show. Um, if you'd like to join a patron, you can. Um, this is a way of thanking us for doing what we do. Um, and you can join us by going, just search Watford FC Buzz podcast uh, and put the word patron in and you'll find us there. Um, you also get to listen to the show there um, without any adverts, which is a, a recently new thing for us. Um, and um, I think I've come to the end of my speech now. Take it away, Jordan. Yeah, well, I will, I will just add on real quick that also at the time of recording, Villarreal are playing Liverpool and Etting did get an assist for the first goal. Great. That's always uh, good to see. Um, yeah, thanks for questions. Thanks for getting in touch. And thanks for listening, of course. If you have any questions, please feel free to send them in to the absentee Tom, Matt or myself. And we'll be sure to answer them and cover them in the next episode. So thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Yes, we will. See you later, guys. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.